as God would have them to. It's good to be here. Uh, we have some hard times ahead. <laughs> you know, we have some hard times ahead. And I thank God that uh, we here at Faith Tabernacle take an initiative for prayer. Yeah. You know, like I was sharing with my parents. <clears throat> In order to lead, you have to be an example. Even if you got just one person, you got to have an example to lead. So that's very important. And so, you know, God blesses faithfulness. It's not really in numbers or anything else, but he blesses faithfulness. And um, God moves in that. So I'm grateful to really be here. Um, I take these next uh, five weeks very seriously because after looking at the debate last night, <laughs> oh, man, you know, and that's, that's a microcosm of so many things that's going on now. People with different beliefs, disagreement. I look at it and how it works in the body of Christ. We can't hardly talk about nothing now without biting each other's head off, <laughs> cussing and, you know. And I tell people all the time, when you look at, you know, political leaders and different things like that, they're really a reflection of society. Yeah, that's what they are. Now, some people would put more on a particular person, but that's how it is. Nothing can happen in society in this country unless we want it. Because we have freedom. Right. <laughs> the thing called freedom. And so you have free will. So when I was looking at that last night, I'm convinced that I am, and this is more theological of a biblical axiom. And really what that means is that the word of God is true. That's right. I mean, it's just that. I mean, the, the Bible is the word of God. Now, some people don't believe that. You know, <laughs> some people don't, and it shows, but I'm a, I'm a big believer in that because what it does, it, 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 it's the revelation uh, of truth from God who himself determines truth, and watch this, is the source of all truth. Yeah, that's right. And so last night, last night really reminded me of that because you have a lot of people that they, because of how they view the word of God, they take time trying to prove something. All we got to do is believe. And God say, I got this. <laughs> he said, I got it. He does. He really does. And so that is sad to see now because if we just believe the truth of the scriptures and using them to tear down the many high things in our day that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, we see a different. That's what we have to do. And I'm realizing that now and we're seeing the cruciality, if you will, of that. And, uh, and it reminded me of the scripture in uh, Psalms, you don't have to turn here, but Psalms 118 and 9, that it is better to trust, that is, take refuge in the Lord than put confidence in princes. Now, when you look at the Good News translation, it is better to trust in the Lord than depend on, that is, have confidence in human leaders. And I heard some with Joe Biden talking about last night, do you expect this guy to be the savior of the black community? <laughs> you know? Anytime somebody say that, you think, you don't need no man to save you. That's right. <laughs> you don't. But that is because, you know, idolatry and we've gotten out of balance. But to hear that made me cringe. I mean, but that's how it's become. You know, even growing up, uh, whether it's Big Mama House or other folks, you had two pictures in the house, especially in the black house. You had a picture of Jesus, you had a picture of Martin Luther King. Oh, y'all quiet in here. Yeah, it was like that. You know why? Because... 
he saved the day. Yeah. <laughs> he did. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he did. You used to have it growing up. I remember. Black Jesus and my little king. Because oh, y'all not liking me. Watch this now. But we're a nation in trouble because we've gotten away from the God of all truth. That's what I like about Psalms 46. About It's a strong biblical passage that reminds us that even in the face of trouble, God is our refuge and strength. One of the things I want to talk about tonight is reboot and reclaim. Reboot and reclaim. I think a lot of us, that feeling we had during the first shutdown, kind of then wore off a little bit. <laughs> it didn't go off a little bit. Now, I'm not going to preach because I ain't got no musician. But if I do, I can go in the studio and add some to it, you know. Praise the name of the Lord. <laughs> right. But with all that being said, looking at the presidential election last night didn't provoke this study, but it really confirmed some things. And I think with COVID, what it allowed for a lot of us. Now, some people in the upper states, they still shut down and stuff. They still have this opportunity. But as a whole, it allowed us to have fewer outside distractions. And for many being forced to stay home, we've been given a wonderful opportunity to reboot and reclaim so much of what we've lost. And for some, that even means our soul. I heard that over the past few months that we're, we're in a battle in America for the soul of America, you know, <laughs> the life of America. You want this man? You know what I'm saying? You're hearing this. And for me, I'm thinking, what did this really mean? 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 And it's important to make a distinction between the spirit and soul. So I'm going to start there. The soul and the spirit are the two primary immaterial parts that scripture ascribes to humanity. It can be confusing to attempt to discern the precise difference between the two. So I'll start with the spirit because most of the time it does sound like it's one and the same. You know, it really does, but it's really distinction and they can be inseparable. Now watch this, or they can be separated in context. Now, um, in context matter. I was studying, it's hard for me to believe people who love truth, but you don't care about context. It's impossible. You got to have context with truth. And so I pray that this gives great context. When it comes to the spirit as it differs from the soul, the word spirit refers only to the immaterial facet of humanity. Human beings, if you will, excuse me, have a, a spirit, but we are not spirits. We're not. Now you have some folks that believe that. They got all these pigs and all this, you know, incense and, and all of this other stuff going on because they feel like, my goodness, my spirit animal, you know, my goodness, all of this astrology, my goodness. <laughs> but they believe they're spirits. Mm -hmm. Now, we have a spirit. That's what separates us from animals and all because we have uh, one that's higher, if you will. However, in Scripture, only believers are said to be spiritually alive. Now, there's a lot of scriptures, but one key scripture that got me was 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, verses 11. This is not my main scripture, but if you want to write this down or, or turn it, you can. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verses 11. It says, For who knows a person's thoughts? 
accept the spirit that of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And then if you move to James chapter two, verses 26, you can write that down. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead. Also, so also faith apart from the works is dead. Uh-huh. Now, what is it saying? If you move that, OK, believers are said to be spiritually alive. We are believers are. It is a believers are <laughs> to be spiritually alive while unbelievers are spiritually dead. Now you'll find those two scriptures uh, backing that up in Ephesians. You can write this down. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. And in Colossians chapter 2 verses 13. Unbelievers are spiritually dead. That's why I see why God says, and my mom was talking about Sunday, why it is important to be obedient with praying with all leaders and praying in general. Because you have people that are non-believers and you need God to direct and move. You do. And we have a lot of spiritually dead people with a lot of power. <laughs> it is. Watch this now. In Paul's writing, the spiritual is pivotal to the life of the believer. One of the scriptures I like about this, it goes into 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And if you move to chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1, like I said, you can write these down because this is not my main scripture. These are just references. But I, brothers, cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So it lets you know that when Paul was talking about he's making it clear that the spiritual is pivotal to the life of the believer. It is. Why is that? Because the spirit is the element in humanity that gives us the ability to have an intimate relationship with God. That's why it's important. And that's why it's important to have the distinction between soul, spirit and soul. Whenever the word spirit is used, it refers to the immaterial part of humanity that connects with God, who himself is spirit. That's why the Bible says in John chapter four, verses 24, that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And this is what worship is not. God touching you. God blessing you and God ministering to you. You know, we put that D in there now. Ministry. (laughs) Ministry. But what worship is, is you ministering to God. You blessing God and you touching God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Many of you know this. This For many, this is like the basis scripture, the base scripture for when you're talking about worship. Explaining worship. Why is this important? That those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This ties to the spirit and the distinction, but this has to be clear. Because you have a lot of people, they just don't know. They just don't know. Like the fundamental, that's why you can shift so much, so much, because the foundation. It's not the structure. The foundation is being uh, uh, rattled, if you will. But this is important to understand because true worship must be in spirit. That is engaging the whole heart. That's what that means. The whole heart. Unless there's a real passion for God, there is no worship in spirit. 
Now that's key, unless there's a real passion. Real passion for God. At the same time, worship must be in truth that is properly informed. Unless we have knowledge of God, of the God we worship, there is no worship in truth. Say that again. Unless we have knowledge of the God we worship, there is no worship in truth. Both are necessary in God-honoring worship. You got to have knowledge. You got to have the word of God. You got to have it. You got to have it. <laughs> you got to have it. And now people, it's not like that anymore. People are preaching what they want to preach, tell it to themselves, how they feel, you know. It's gotten political now, sad to say. Some of my friends, you know, I don't care if you're black, white, green, yellow. It's just, I'm tabloid ministry, <laughs> you know. It's just, it's a mess. The thing about it is, that's why both are necessary in God honoring worship. Spirit without truth, this is what you'll see in a lot of churches now. Spirit without truth leads to shallow, overly emotional experiences that could be compared to a high. Like smoking weed, drinking, you know, why? Because it's of the flesh. You got to get your high. You got to get your fix. That's why some folk, they be bleeding to try to get back on Sunday from Sunday. By the time Thursday hit, I'm itching. I'm looking at YouTube videos. I'm shouting, getting ready for these three services on Sunday because <laughs> there ain't no truth. Ain't no truth. It's a spirit, all right, but it ain't true. <laughs> Witchcraft and cultism and everything else yeah. going on. And as soon as the emotion is over and the fervor cools, the worship in. You falling asleep, you tired, drinking Gatorade because you didn't broke your heels, skating all across the, you know. <laughs> you know, my goodness. Then toe up spanks. Now watch this. Truth without spirit can result in a dry, passionless, passionlessness encounter that can easily lead to a form of joyless legalism. Now, you see that in some of these, they call them holiness churches. That is, legalism is basically uh, all obedience, no love. That's right. That's really what it is. You look like us, you do these things. <laughs> they have fun doing it. And you know what, someone, when you're down and out, you can tune in and they preach in my God. But they limit it. <laughs> they limit it because you limit God. Because everything you do need to be impelled and influenced by love. You have no love. I, I, oh, I came in with this skirt. Oh, my goodness, these pants, I'm going to hell. <laughs> you know, it's a lot that's tethered to it. It is. That's why it says joyless legalism. It can lead to it. It's, there's no joy in it, but folks find joy in it because of where they are. They stay in mind. But beating no love. The, the combination you want is, now on the flip side, you don't want no hypergracism. That is all love, no beating. You know, I see people nowadays, you know what I mean? They just do what they want. You just got to love them. Yeah, you got to love them, too. Yeah, but praise it. You need some accountability, too, because who you represent, you know? But the combination is when you can have obedience birthed out of love, then you access kingdom. It's sustained. I ain't got to get up here and preach under the pew. I ain't got to get up here and manipulate you and do all this other stuff to make you serve him. <laughs> you should love him enough to serve him. Watch this now. I'm going somewhere. Watch this. The best combination of both aspects of worship results in a joyous appreciation of God informed by Scripture. The more we know about God, the more we appreciate Him. The more we appreciate, the deeper our worship. The deeper our worship, the more God, uh, the more God is glorified. Right. Let me say that again because that's important. The more we know about God, uh -huh. the more we know about Him, the more we appreciate Him. That's right. 
the more we appreciate, the deeper our worship. The deeper our worship, the more God is glorified. It kind of makes me think of the issue today why we're in trouble and God has given us time. You don't hardly hear the cross preach no more. Because we've, we've gotten away from that due to temple thing. They say we've, we were sacrificing, getting rid of eternity at the altar, the temporary. And preaching of the cross eliminates all of that. It reminds us, oh, I have something else to live for. Versus this car and this temporal stuff. But when you stop preaching the cross, you start getting into all this psychological, you know, <laughs> your best self stuff. That's temporal stuff. That's what that is. It's temple. True worship is the acknowledgement of God and all his power and glory in everything we do. The highest form of praise and worship is obedience to him and his word. To do this, we must know God. We cannot be ignorant of him. Now, that, that follows in Acts chapter 17, 23, when Paul was, these folk were worshiping. You don't know him. You're not worshiping the true God I've been preaching about. You have a lot of folks like that now. They have... Uh, they worshiping, but what God you serving that lets you do this and turn around and take somebody else's wife? <laughs> what God make you walk around here no integrity? My goodness, no likeness. <laughs> but I look the part, you know. I mean, I'm bonded out, got the collar, you know, can, can hoop and all of that stuff at the other day. And a lot of it moves back to the adoration of man. You know, we live in a society like that now. Long as they can preach, long as they got their gift. I mean, oh, they good at it too. You'll excuse. I mean, Joker be. I mean, we'll sit up there. I mean, I have to catch myself. No, I'm discerning it. Stop it. <laughs> if you sound good, I, uh, no, you can give me. You know, I have to, and it's hurting the body of Christ. It's hurting the five folk. I mean, you some folk you can't you can't see all that sugar in homosexuality because he can preach. You know, I mean that we will excuse it because the gift. That's not the order of God. Watch this. Worship is to glorify God and exalt God, if you will, to show our loyalty and admiration to our Father. Let's say that again because that's important. Worship is to glorify and exalt God, not ourselves, to show our loyalty and admiration to our Father. Yes. Now, that's important because the um, second part of what I was talking about, reboot and re uh, reclaim, is life and destiny. When you're talking about divine living, divine destiny, you got to be in tune and tap with God. Yes. You got to be. You got to be because it's divine. Now, you can do what you want to do. <laughs> the way it seems right in demand leads to destruction. But when you want to accomplish what God has called you to do, you got to be tapped in spiritually. And that's why the spirit is the immaterial part of humanity that connects with God. Now, moving into the soul part. Now, this is the distinction when you hear we're battling for the soul of America, this and the third, and it really goes in line with what we're dealing with this week by ourselves, praying for ourselves. The word soul can refer to both the immaterial and material aspects of humanity. Unlike human beings having a spirit, human beings are souls. Yeah? Unlike human beings having a spirit, human beings are souls. In its most basic sense, the word soul means alive. That's what it means. However, beyond the essential meaning, the Bible speaks of the soul in many contexts. In Luke, you don't have to turn it, but you can write it down. Luke chapter 12, verses 26. One of these is in relation to humanity eagerness, humanity's eagerness to sing it. 
And then human beings have a sinful nature, sinful, sinful nature, if you will, and our souls are tainted with sin. That's where you get the context of the Bible when it says you are born in sin, shaped in iniquity. We come here because of the fall. I mean, we get here being bad. I mean, you got little kids being bad and stuff like that because it's just how it is due to the fall of man. The soul as the life essence of the body is removed at the same time of physical death. You find that in Genesis chapter 35 verses 18 and Jeremiah 15 verses 2. The soul, as with the spirit, is the center of many spiritual and emotional experiences. The word soul can refer to the whole person, whether alive on earth or in the afterlife. That's where you get the whole aspect where your character is what goes to heaven and leaves it. <laughs> Who you are. Mm. Now watch this. The soul and the spirit are connected but separable. And you'll find it. Can somebody find, uh, read that for me in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12? Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12. For well, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. And it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Mm -hmm. I feel like a full gospel up here. Let me say, read. <laughs> read. <laughs> you know, but yeah. And basically what that means, the soul is the essence of humanity's being. It is who we are. That's who we are. Our soul is who we are. So when you summarize that question for the war for the soul of America, it's really talking about the life and the character of this nation. Even ourselves, our life and character, that's what makes up the soul. Our life and character, I'm almost done. One of the focuses I understood during this, if you will, pandemic and shutdown is that a lot of people were thriving, gaining it all, but losing the most important, our soul. This is my main scripture. <laughs> Mark chapter 8, verses 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's a very interesting question. But many of us, while we've heard this for a lot of our Christian life, miss what Jesus is really telling us and not asking them. Scripture teaches us that, that all that's in this world is... Number one, the lust of the eye. That is, the lust of the eyes is the, is, the, is the desire to possess what we see or to have those things which, we, which have visual appeal. This coveting of money, possession, or other physical things is not from God, but from the world around us. Satan uses the lust of the eyes as one avenue of temptation. That's so why a lot of these prosperity preachers get away with it. Because really at its core, not everybody, but I'm talking about those who are, you, it's temptation. Yeah. It's tempting. It got you. I mean, it's like you scratching, gambling, all that. I mean, it gets got you. It's temptation. And that's the core issue of it. The second one is the lust of the flesh. Our sinful nature dominated by sin and rebellion. When fleshly desires rule us, taking over, taking priority over God's will, they cause a violation 
they cause us to violate, if you will, God's righteousness. They become lust. How would you say what happened in America now? See, when you have natural things get perverted, then you legislate them. <laughs> That's why it's good to say something, you know, because the righteousness, we need God's righteousness. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs, I believe, that righteousness exalts the nation. Sin is reproached to people. Now, what does that mean? That means righteousness exalts. It, it lifts us up. But sin is a reproach. God just be like, listen, I see the world burning up. Uh, Gable, Michael, go get me some Doritos. Bring me that iPad. Until they want me. <laughs> you know, until they want me. And that's one of the things that was taught during this shutdown is that it, life without God is not enjoyable. It's just truly what you want. And I talked about that in Ground Zero. I never finished it, but... It was just an urgency. I felt that when people started lifting up the shutdown and stuff like that, we don't forget that we got here because we tried to have a life without it. Yeah. Gaining it all but losing the most important, that is our soul. The last one is the pride of life. That is, the pride of life is the desire in every human being to be his or her own God. Arrogance, self-promotion, and greed all stems from the pride of life. The pride of life can be defined as anything that is of the world, meaning anything that leads to arrogance, ostentation, pride, and self-presumption and boasting. Every sin imaginable can be found and summed up in these three evils, whether it's envy, adultery, pride, lying, selfishness, and much more spring from these three roots. So while stuff get complicated for people, no, it ain't complicated. You can find them in three. <laughs> <laughs> the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Yes. Get back to the soul. Because that's what the world, the scripture teaches us, that that's what the world consists of. So because our soul consists of our mind, our will, and our emotions, our soul is what the devil's after. So yeah, that's just, how does he get it? How does he get our mind, our will, our emotions, the sum total of our soul? One thing I've learned in taking psychology classes and dealing with doctors and different people like that, great counselors, they never ask a question they don't already know the answer to. They know. And Jesus gave us the answer in the question. You have to ask it this way. Ask it this way. What does it profit a man or woman to get all the things they see all the pleasures they desire and be so arrogant that nobody, not even God himself, can tell them anything but, but lose their soul. Ah. The answer is given Jesus' question. When we are fully, we, when we set fully our mind, will and emotions on obtaining the things of the world, be they money, material things, status, etc., the things we uh, want so badly or we so badly want and would do whatever we need to get, do to get them, that gives the devil access. That's it right there. That's how you get it. Whether it's, it doesn't matter in what capacity, in whatever capacity, the things we so badly want and would do whatever we need to do to get them, the devil has them. I know preachers not going to jail because... I need the money to expand this. <laughs> and I did what I had to do. Now, you're going to do something else you don't want to do. <laughs> but it's like that because 
Hmm. That's what Jesus is telling us. Satan is not after our body or our stuff. He is after the thing that controls and directs our body, our soul. Our mind, where lust is conceived. Our will, where we act on what we have conceived. And emotions, pride, that pretty much seals the deal. What does it profit us to gain the whole world and lose our soul? It's a rhetorical question because once we have gained the whole world, we have already lost our soul to the devil. Yeah. And one would say, what does it mean to lose your soul? You lose who you are. Uh, you hear people maybe in hip-hop and say, well, I sold my soul to the devil, stuff like that. You I mean I've given up who I am, who I'm supposed to be under the rule of God. <sighs> my life is not my own now. <laughs> my goodness, everybody else, whatever else I'm involved with. See, the devil knows that your soul is worth, uh, worth more than the whole world. And how can one say that? Because Christ valued it so much, he died for it. He died for it. Most won't talk about that, but that's what he did. And that's why he wants to take and destroy it. My goodness. Now watch this. We all have been given a wonderful opportunity to reboot and reclaim so much what we've lost. And for some, that even means our soul. I talked about this in uh, 2019, January. Maybe some of y'all remember that, the year reset. Um, we went into 2020, but for me, it didn't seem like it was a fresh year. It seemed like stuff just was pretty much the same. I believe that, that I did. I was New Year's Eve, I was in Dallas, and I was with Chuck. And we were in that Waffle House. I went to a service, and it was good, but I'm just like, something is different. Something. <laughs> I'm not feeling no resolution action going, you know. <laughs> Ain't nothing fresh. I'm like, something is not right. But you'll catch this, what I'm saying in the spirit. Reboot, reboot, if you will. Restart. Restart means to turn something off. 2019, the year of reset, when I mentioned reset, it was explained as to set again, asking God for taking advantage of this additional time he has given us. Or a new, that is in a new, a different form. Once more, we have to get it right this time. Yeah, that's right. Re rebooting something is a common task that you can do on all sorts of devices if they're not acting as you expect it. Rebooting. That's funny. In more technical words, to reboot or restart something means to cycle the power state. When you turn the device off, it's not receiving power. Not receiving power. It shut down. <laughs> Took a lot of power out, a lot of foolishness. Some churches ain't opening back up. Some convocations didn't need to happen this year. <laughs> Some of it, uh-uh, please stop it. I'm, I'm pulling the plug because it's a bunch of foolishness. Because why? You're not acting as I expect you to. Mm -hmm. When it's turned back on, it is getting power. It's getting power. A restart reboot is a single step that involves both shutting down and then powering on something. And so with that being said, God is giving us an opportunity to reclaim areas of our lives that we've surrendered to Satan doing this reboot. Mm -hmm. 
even for myself, there's some things people I've dealt with that uh, they got the best of me. <laughs> I'm going to reclaim it. My goodness. And because God expects more of me. He does. I feel changes going on with me because I know he's summons, summoning me to more. It's because during this reboot, he getting some stuff in order. That's right. Yeah. It's going to be the folks you least expect going to be making a difference. Even during this uh, shutdown, it was still some lights burning. <laughs> Candles lit. It was. It was. It was still going on. Regaining. This is my last point. Regaining surrendered ground. Repentance and restoration after the bondage of sin. Yes. We are told in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 27, not to give place to the devil. Right. Some will look at that, don't give place to the world. For the world, as believers, many have. We've gone long to get along. <laughs> We've been guilty as, you know, and I say us, because there's more I could have done too. I could have cried loud and spared out. I was just growing up, but I still take responsibility. That's what gives me anguish, <laughs> righteous indignation, you know. The word place refers to an area of jurisdiction. In warfare, opposing sides gain jurisdictional area whenever ground is surrendered. Uh, the context of Ephesians 4 refers to three ways the devil, the way, three, three ways that ground in the soul can be given to the devil. Number one is immorality. When you look at verse 19 in chapter 4 of Ephesians, they have given themselves over into lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness, cleanness, if you will, with greediness. Some would say greedy dogs. Then when you move into verse 28, it talks about greed. Let him that stole steal no more. Yes. Then when you move to verse 31, bitterness. And we see that happening now. Bitterness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. You see movement birthed by bitterness, unforgiveness. And what got me shocked is the, the spirit of Jezebel and this deception got church folks shouting and putting organs to it. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you're seeing it happen. And it's witchcraft. Yeah. It is. They're part of it. And that, that lets you know that there's a continuing of the, wheat, the separation of the wheat and tear. And it's disappointing, but it's necessary. That's why God sends strong delusion to see who, what, when, where, and all that other stuff. Because we have to prove ourselves. It is critical that we understand the spiritual battle in which we are involved and that we resist temptations to sin. When we do sin, it is important to repent as soon as the Holy Spirit convicts us and then reclaim the ground that we have given Satan the legal right to occupy. Now, this is what I want to zero in on. This is pretty much my last point. There are eight steps involving in taking back ground. I'm only going to talk about the first one, and then I'm going to do a follow-up video. You probably see it on social media. But the first one is repent of your sin. Repentance is acknowledging your sin, submitting to God's truth, and making, watch this, commitments to be obedient. If I'm in a relationship with my mom somehow, some way, and I do something, my commitment is going to determine if things turn around, if I'm truly sorry now. Yeah, my commitment to being obedient and doing what's right. Now, you have some people, they have some language with no meaning. <laughs> you say and do stuff, you don't mean that. 
because it shows you being political and different things like that. But in this aspect, no, you got to submit to God's truth. Acknowledge your sin. That just ain't enough to talk about it. You got to acknowledge it, obviously, but you got to submit to God's truth and then make commitments. That's where you get the whole whatever it is from moving from a bad situation to another situation. If me and O, we in a business, the difference between it being mediocre and excellent, excelling is our level of commitment. Simple. That's what it comes down to. Making commitments to be obedient to his holy standards. Only after we submitted ourselves to God's justice, we can plead for his mercy. And you'll find that in Psalms 147, 11, the Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him and those that hope in his mercy. Now, this is the key end point I want to talk about. When you realize repentance is a good thing, you start to focus less on your shortcomings and focus more on, your, on God's calling. You got a lot of people now, they don't want to repent of stuff because all you know, all I didn't do is talk about what I'm going on, what I got going on, and my faults. The focus is not talking about your faults. The focus is, is I have to do this to expand in what God has called me to do. It's necessary. So when you find somebody who refuses to repent, personally, collectively, they don't care about their calling. They care more about themselves than they do the calling of God. I'm going to say that again. That's important. When you realize repentance is a good thing, you start to focus less on your shortcomings and focus more on God's calling. Now, here's my last point. This requires humbling ourselves. Humility is a heart attitude, not merely an outward demeanor. It's not, it's not an outward demeanor. Humility is key, as my dad preached before, to elevation. It is. You want to elevate it, worship, elevate it, life, Elevated relationships, the glory of God of our lives, therefore saturating the earth, is tied to our humility. Where there's no humility, there is no submission. When there's no submission, there is no impartation. When there's no impartation, there is a lack of heavenly resources to fulfill one's calling. It is. It is. But here's my last point. This is why God has allowed 2020 to serve as a reboot for the body of Christ to help us. To humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he can lift us up. That's why this whole life application this week is before you ask God to work in others, we have to ask him to work in us first. Thank you. God bless you. Hope you enjoyed it. Reclaim, reboot, and reclaim. Amen.